Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. There's something really special that's, that's been happening over these last few weeks. Um, Jesus is just <laughs> lifted high in this place, and I love it. We said, hallowed be thy name. That's, that's the chief aim of our, of our lives and our existence is not for the name of a church, not for any personal title, but for his name to be hallowed. That's what we're after, that he would be famous in this place. So, yeah, we're going uh, to continue on in our teaching series in, on the names of God. So, um, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. And um, we've been really worshiping, so I'm just going to jump in on this. But we're in Exodus chapter 33, and if you missed, <laughs> I know, what I was like, <laughs> don't really know how to use transition well. Um, but hey, we're going to lift up Jesus, lift up the Father and the Holy Spirit by really coming to understand the names of, of God. And so last, last week, we started a teaching series uh, on that very topic, the names of God. And, and, and we can't go through all of it. You can always go back and, on the website and, and see uh, the podcast. Because I encourage you to, to, um, to go through that because we laid a really important foundation. And one of the main things that we shared is that uh, we were made to know God. We were made to know God. Uh, that's where we come alive. That's what eternal life is. It is to know God. And the beautiful thing is that God desires to be known. And so there's this beautiful collision. We need to know God, and God says, well, I want to be known, right? And one of the great ways that God reveals himself in the word is through his names. And so we really broke that open to understand that names in the Bible are not just the way we name today, because we, we may like the sound of it or whatnot, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but the idea is that biblically, God uh, names are given because they speak into one's nature. It really is a reflection of the person's essence. And so when, when it says that uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name, his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, it's because that's who he is. He is all of those things, right? So we were on a journey last week of just beginning to provoke our hearts for the power of God's name, and we actually talked about hallowed be his name, right? And, uh, and that's what we're after. We're after the name of Jesus being lifted up. And the opposite of hallowing God's name, we said, is Exodus 20, is to take the Lord's name in vain. And we, you know, a lot of times we think about that, we think about, uh, we said the funny illustration of just stubbing your toe and saying Jesus, and saying, well, I took his name in vain, and, and, and that may be true, but that's a very elementary level of it. To take his name in vain, vain means to empty something out. It means, it means to waste something that is really great. <laughs> and so God's name is holy and awesome and great. Uh, we take his name in vain when we say we gather in his name, but he's not the central focus of why we're here. So we're really capturing what it means to hallow his name and not take his name in vain, right? And so we're on this journey together where we're not just trying to memorize names and pronounce his names correctly in their original language. That's great. But we want to know the person behind the name. We want to know the power that stands behind that name, right? Because you can know someone's name and really not know them. And, and, and when, when God came, he never just came and gave a list of the names and said, go memorize these. He came with a personal name and a personal situation. And the beautiful thing is that the name he was revealing, he was actually fulfilling in the moment. Why? So that they would have a heart knowledge that went with the head knowledge. 
so that they understood who God really was, right? So this is, this is the journey we've been on. Today, I'll get into the name we're going to talk about, but we're going to get into a specific name today. And I want to read something from Exodus 33. So again, if you haven't yet, Exodus 33, verse 17 to 19. And so this is, this is the portion of scripture where Moses has been told by, by God that essentially, uh, there's some good wind here today. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just don't blow our tent down. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, uh, hey, listen, if that's what happens, then we'll take it. Then he's just expanding the tent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, where were we? Exodus 33. So, so uh, God is telling Moses, because of, of sin that happened with the Israelites, he says, look, I'll send you into the promised land, but I myself am not going to go with you. And, and Moses, uh, this is what's happening right before this. Moses makes an amazing statement that we won't go unless your presence goes. Because to Moses, he was completely discontent, discontent with the thought of making an advancement without God's presence being there. Like for Moses, the idea of having the promised land and not having God, a lot of women. <laughs> so, th so that idea to have, um, to, have God, to have something that God had promised but not God himself was deeply, was deeply disturbing to Moses. And so Moses said, listen... I'm not going anywhere. That sign may not be able to stay up. I'm not sure. <laughs> Moses said, I'm not going anywhere unless your presence goes, goes with us. And so here's what happens in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So I love that. That, that could be a teaching in itself as we're discovering the name of God. One of the beautiful realities is that God knows us by name. But then Moses says this right here in verse 18. And Moses said, please show me your glory. There was a cry in the heart of Moses that God would reveal his glory. And, and I love this statement. And when I've read it, I've always seen it as a statement of courage and faith and boldness. And I think everyone would agree. But there's also been a part of me where I've almost looked at, at this statement as, as, as unusual, it was something specific to Moses. Moses had a unique gift to really want God in this way. Uh, most of us would never have a cry for the glory of God like this. But what God has been really just, just hitting my heart with is that each and every one of us has this same cry placed in our heart. Each and every one of us have a cry in our heart for the glory of God. Because the glory of God is God. There's not God and then his glory. It is himself. And there's a cry within all of us to see more and more of him. We were created to know the glorious one and grown in ever-increasing knowledge of who he is and his ways. We will never be content with, with religion. We'll never be content with it. Like we may go about that, but something inside of the heart of man says, no, I want him. I want the real thing. And if what we're doing, if what we're doing is not like just stained by himself and his glory, like, at best, we're just hoping people will behave appropriately. There's something so much greater that when his glory comes and saturates our lives and our gatherings, our hearts are moved and captivated to want to give him everything. Because he's that fascinating. And so what Moses is crying for here, I want you to see, is you have that cry in your heart as well. You may have never articulated it like this, but there's a cry to say, God, I want to know you more. Especially when the Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in you. Romans 3.23 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning there was a realm we were intended to live in. A place of intimacy with him. Sin cut us short of that. Jesus has reinstated that. That we can behold the glorious one again. Isn't that amazing? And we come alive. And so look at, look at God's response though. In verse 19, and he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So he doesn't rebuke him for that cry. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, hey, that's too much. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll make my goodness pass before you and will, and will what? And will pro- proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So Moses' cry that's in all the hearts is for the glory of the Lord. And God says, here's what I'll do. My goodness is going to pass before you and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Why? Because my name is who I am. And who I am is the glory. And so as we know his name, we actually begin to understand who God is, and our hearts get touched of the gloriousness. Are you with me? So we're going on this journey today, and honestly, this could speak into every week, however long we stay in this, of we are encountering the glory of God through his name. But again, we're not just after head knowledge. We want to know, we want to have the heart knowledge as well. We want both. And so we're working through stories to really say, God, we want to know you as Adonai, Elohim, and Yahweh and in these ways. All right? So, if you want, you can turn to Exodus 3, but I, I want to share one other thing from this, and then, um, and then we're going to get into the story. For some of you, there's, there's going to be some really heavy teaching moments in this. I told you that. How many of you like, like, really heavy teaching? <laughs> all right, good. So, there's all, so, throughout this study, we'll do that. Uh, but I just want us to be clear. The names of God, you could put really any name, has his glory because it reflects who he is. But there is a specific name of God that's even being emphasized here. Because he says, I will, I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, all capitals, Lord. And so here's what I want to say is that there are actually technically in the scriptures hundreds of names for God. Especially when you consider, or titles, especially when you consider that God is a, a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Even those names are actually uh, uh, are, are, are titles and names that we can learn things about him. But there are three names that are really the foundational names of God. It's Yahweh, Elohim, and Adonai. And these three names describe the Godhead. So I want to be really clear in this. When I used to think of uh, these names, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, I used to always think it referred to just God the Father. Because it was in the Old Testament, and we don't really see Jesus yet in the flesh. Holy Spirit we see, but he doesn't really come in his fullness till Pentecost. And so I thought... The Father's Elohim and Yahweh and Adonai, but the entire Godhead is Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. So Jesus is Yahweh. Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Jesus is Elohim. Holy Spirit is Elohim. And each week we go through this, we're going to see how beautifully it connects to Jesus and the Holy Spirit as well. So today what we're going to talk about is Yahweh. Yahweh. Because amidst all the names, Yahweh is actually God's personal name. Just think about that for a moment. The infinite, glorious God, the eternal one, has revealed to us his name. See, Elohim next week is his title. It's powerful, but it's his title. It's like me saying my name is Pastor Andrew. Pastor's the title, but my name is Andrew. He's Elohim, but he's Elohim Yahweh. See, there are many people who worship what they would call Elohim. The Bible talks about this. You could put no other gods before me. That's actually Elohim. There are spiritual beings out there that you can lock yourself into, but no one, no one is, is Yahweh. There is one Yahweh. And so our God is Yahweh Elohim. And we need to know who our God is. 
So this is his personal name. It's used 6,500 times around there in the Old Testament, especially. Um, here's something really interesting, just to, for your own personal study. When you go through the Bible, you may have noticed that when you read, especially in the Old Testament, you see the name Lord, it's written two different ways. Sometimes Lord is written with all capitals. Sometimes Lord is written with just a capital L. When you see with all caps, that's not saying like, Lord, emphasis with a bunch of exclamation points. The, the English translators are trying to help us understand that there's a different name here. All capitals Lord is Yahweh. Just capital L is Adonai. Okay? So when you see all caps in the scriptures, this is us knowing this is the name of Yahweh. All right? So we're going to dive into this. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. The wind just blows. So Exodus chapter 3, let me turn to it myself. Find it, here we go. All right. You guys ready? <laughs> we're going we're to look at the name of Yahweh. Now, again, it's a mixture of some heavy application and teaching, but let me say this. One of the first things that you would do to get to know someone, you first want to know their name, right? So here's, here's the challenge, though, is that, for example, my name is Andrew Miller. There's a lot of Andrew Millers. Like wherever I go, gym membership, if I forget my card and I say Andrew Miller, there's like 10 of them that just come up right over here. And so the next question they'll begin to ask is, what's your address? In other words, what they're asking is, tell me your, tell me your story, right? When we want to know someone, we first know their name. But if we know someone else by the name, we say, which one are you talking about? The, the Andrew who grew up in Massac, who now pastors? We start to tell our story. So there are, again, this is important because in the, in the society we live in, everyone says they worship a god. <laughs> And we can all think that that God is the same God. We're all saying God, but what God are we talking about? Yahweh has a story, and we can actually know who our God is by studying his story. So we're going to look at his name, but I'm not just going to go right to where he gives his name. I want you to see the story of how he reveals himself, because there's a lot we learn about God just from that. Okay? So this is Moses and the burning bush. All right? How many know that story? Moses and the burning bush. So here's, here's the highlight reel that happened just before this. Uh, Moses, uh, at, at a young age, was actually sent off by his parents. I know a lot of you know this, but just so we're on the same page. He's sent off down the Nile River, right, because Pharaoh issued a decree to basically wipe out the young children. He's sent down the Nile River, and ironically, Pharaoh's daughter is the one who's going to pick him up and actually raise him. So Moses gets uh, brought up in the Egyptian household. Uh, the wisdom of Egypt, the scriptures talk about, was actually held in high regard. So he would have grown up with incredible the arts and medicine and all these things. He had an amazing upbringing. But at 40 years old, he ultimately will step out from that and actually try to rescue one of his fellow uh, Hebrew slaves by killing an Egyptian. Amazingly, his own people reject his, his, him intervening. It's a picture of Jesus who left the perfect household, glory, but his people have ultimately rejected him, right? So Moses has to go on the run. He flees into Midian, and he's been there now for 40 years in the desert, in Midian, in a pagan place. And this is ultimately where God is going to come to Moses 40 years after that scene. And the way he comes is a bush begins to burn. Now you may say, what's so important about that? Well, any child can light a fire to a bush. It's the fact that this bush was not consumed. So it, it must have been burning for quite some time for Moses to say, this is bizarre. And as Moses gives his attention to, in essence, the presence of God, it says God sees that he gives attention. That's an important lesson for us. When he gives his attention, then God speaks to him. And this is what God says in verse 5. We're going to read through this. Then he said, 
do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So right off the bat, we know that Yahweh, our God, even if we don't know his exact name, he's holy. He's holy. The idea is Moses has to take his shoes off because it's a sacred place. Holy, holy is not, it doesn't mean that God is morally uptight. He is moral. But we, we always say like, she's so holy. Right? We're saying she's so morally uptight. God holy, he's set apart. He's completely distinct. It's like he's almost, it's, it's, he's, he's transcendent. He is something of, of, of something else from what we are in many ways, right? He is wholly distinct, set apart. And as a result, Moses is about to have an encounter with a very sacred being on sacred space. And he's told to take his shoes off. You say, why? Well, I was thinking about when I was younger and I was playing outside with my friends in the mud and everything else. And I went to run inside to get a drink. And my mother, who's right here, could say, ah, ah, take your shoes off before you come inside. And in essence, what she's saying is, in a measure, this is a sacred space. You can't bring all that stuff in here with you, right? That's what's happening here. God is saying, this is sacred, Moses. Take your shoes off. Where you're standing on is holy ground. Holy ground is not found in just a temple. Wherever God's presence is, is holy ground. Yahweh now lives in us, actually, as we're going to get into, which is amazing to consider that. So here we go. Keep going on. Verse 7. Or verse 6, it says that ultimately Moses was actually had fear. And then verse 7 says this, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And it begins to list the places, the people groups that live in, in that land. Here's my point, is that we learn something very important about who our God is. Our God sees, hears, knows, and acts. We serve a living being who is not a mindless, impersonal force. Right from the beginning, he says, he says, Moses, I have seen the affliction. I have heard their cries. I know what's going on, and I'm about to act. You know why this is so important? Because in our day, there's a, there's a, there's a big buzzword called higher power. A higher power. And as Christians, we've almost adopted this term that said, okay, we'll talk about higher power as long as you know Jesus is my higher power. But beloved, Jesus is not a higher power. He is something far greater than that. God is not a higher power. Why? Because a higher power is simply a force. It is both impersonal and amoral. You cannot know it, and it does not care about right and wrong. But what we see here is a God who knows you, knows me, hears, sees, understands, and actually cares when there's injustice. He's a living being. This is totally different. So we don't just serve a mindless force. Yahweh is alive. Like right now he sees us. Right now he hears us. He knows things that you go through. His heart is moved by the things that you go through. Both the good and the bad. He says my heart breaks when one of my image bearers oppresses another image bearer. I'm aware of that. And I come to do something about it. This is the God that we serve. And let's keep reading. Verse, verse 9, it says, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Verse 10 says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So I love that. God comes, he says, I see this oppression. 
And what we're learning about Yahweh is he says, something needs to be done. He says, Moses, you go. See, this, this can frustrate us because we see things in the world and say, where is God? And we expect that if God is God, then he will just show up and do it himself. But what you actually find in the scriptures is God rarely works like that. He loves to look for a person or people to work through and empower to do the task. Why? I do not fully understand, but he loves doing that. And so often we're saying, where is God, where is God, where is God, when really the question is, according to the Bible, is where is the church? Where are my people? I wait to work through my people. And you may say, well, that's not really efficient, right? Because if God were to do something, he could do it right away. So we learn that Yahweh doesn't really prioritize efficiency. What he cares more about is doing work in his people's hearts. He says, you're so concerned, right, with going and getting a task done. He says, I care about forming you. See, when we read the word, we always can open up to who our God is. And we, we, the frustration of not seeing things we can rest and say, I'm in a journey. And God cares so much about me personally and what's happening in my life. He's not just concerned with the task being done. Isn't that good news? Right? How many of you ever been frustrated if you have kids trying to get your kids or you're doing a task and your kids say, hey, can I help you with that? And then they're doing it. You're like, oh, my goodness, I could do this right away. But you know how beautiful it is for them to work this thing out. This is how God loves to partner with us. And I heard once an illustration that I love is, you know, you ever pick something heavy and, and your son says, let me carry that? And, they, and you say, yeah, and they grab it. They're not carrying anything. Do they think they are? That's what happens with God. He says, I'm going to bring you in, but ultimately I'm actually going to do this, but I'm going to ask your obedience and your faith. All right, let's keep, let's keep reading. So then verse 11 comes. I love this. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is so important. As Moses is beginning to encounter God, his first, he asks two questions. But this is his first question. And it's almost a, a theme you see in every time a person encounters God is the first question they ask is, who am I? In other words, when Moses begins to encounter God, his identity starts getting all jacked up. But here's why, in a good way. Here's why, because Moses didn't even realize what was on his life. Moses didn't realize that he had redeemer on his life, that he had a prophet on his life, that he had mediator on his life. And Moses had settled in another lifestyle doing work that actually God had a different call. And it was not until he encountered God where he was awakened and said, wait a minute, you're calling me to do what? Who am I then that I should be asked to do this? And I find that so often there's such identity issues and purpose issues. And as a church, we put together all these courses, 16 steps to discover your purpose. And I love those and there's value. But at the end of the day, the biblical pattern is if a man want, or a woman wants to encounter or know his purpose, he encounters God. And when he encounters God, God starts speaking things over his life and says, wait a minute, this is who I am? This was me. I was bound in addiction. I couldn't keep drugs out of my body, and I met the Lord. And he says, Andrew, don't you know? You will lead people to the Lord. And I said, who am I, God? No course could have ever taught me that. I had to have an encounter with God, and I heard his voice speak over me, and I realized I was settling for a life that I was never called to live. So many people are living in lifestyles that are actually destroying them, and they don't need another purpose quest. They need to meet their creator and have God speak over them. But the opposite, opposite side is true too. When Isaiah encountered the Lord and he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me. 
for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst an unclean people. And that's a good thing, too. Sometimes when we get to the Lord, Isaiah for the first time said, oh, wait, I know who God is, and as a result, I know who I am. That was a necessary process as well. It was John Calvin who said, man cannot truly know himself until he knows who God is. And that's what happens here. But let's keep reading. He speaks this over Moses. This is what you're going to do. Moses says, but who am I? And I love verse 12. Moses is really saying, what ability do I have to do what you've put on my life? And I love God's response. He's going to really explain so well who Moses is. (laughs) He says, but I will be with you. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I don't know if you catch that, but Moses says, God, who am I? He's being awakened to the call in his life, and God says, you want to know who you are? Actually, never mind that. I'll be with you. Moses, the only thing you need to know about who you are for this task is I am with you. (laughs) That's incredible. If you've ever been called in anything, and we start wrestling, God says, this is who you are. You say, no, how am I ever going to do that? God says, here's how. I will be with you. I will do it through you. That is the only thing that you need to worry about. And then look at verse 13. Here we get to the, to the crux of it. People still say crux? <laughs> that, Mo- that Moses said to God, as he's discovering who he is, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So you got to understand, this is more than just an identity thing. Moses is being asked to go against the greatest power of the day, the Egyptian uh, empire. And with that, he's going to tell slaves to do an uprising against this power. And somehow, they're go- it's going to work out. And he's saying, if I'm going to tell these people to do this, they know they're putting their lives on the line. I need to know who is sending me, who is commissioning me. They're going to ask that. Many people talk about Elohim, but who, who are you? And so God responds right here with this. He says in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, all caps, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. He says, tell them I am who I am. I am has sent you. Now we read that, and that's Yahweh, the Hebrew. That's what it comes down to, Yahweh's I am who I am or I am. Now we read that, and that sounds really deep and philosophical, and we're like, wow, I am who I am. And then we move on, and we say, wait, 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 what is that actually, what is that leading us into? This name, we'll we'll talk more when we get into covenant. The covenant blessings were wrapped up in this name. When you speak this name, you speak covenant. This was the name that was praised all throughout the Psalms and in the Scriptures. This was the name that was elevated above every other name, Yahweh. It was so holy and sacred that the Israelites wouldn't even even speak the name out loud. They actually would say Adonai instead of Yahweh because there was such a holy reverence for for what that name meant. Listen listen to this, Proverbs 18.10, just listen. The name of the Lord, all caps, the name of Yahweh, is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. That means a strong tower is a place of refuge and safety and security. When things seem to be swirling, 
You know God has provided a power for you to run to at any time? It's himself, but we access it by his name. His name reveals who he is. As we come and understand Yahweh, we run into this power. To run means it's a statement of faith. We have to run into it, though. And I feel a lot of times the names of God are these strong towers, and they're right in our midst, but we don't run to it. Because we don't really know what the name means or what comes with that. And so that's what we're doing through this. Is we're disciplining ourselves to know the names of God so we can run into that in faith. At all times, but especially when it feels like life is, is swirling, right? Alright, so four quick things about this name and then we're going we're gonna to close it out by just sharing Jesus' name quick in this. Four quick things. There are many things that you could share about this. Um, but I'm just going to highlight four. So I'm sure you've seen other things. But, uh, but these are just four truths that God was speaking to me. And let me say this. The first thing is it almost sounds like it's not even a name. I think that's partly purposeful, that God can't be categorized. But at the end of the day, they're still beautiful things. So one, he says, I am who I am. I, I am the I am. And I am is with you. The first thing is that our God is relational. Relational. We've already seen this, but he's saying the whole context is about Yahweh saying, I'm going to be with you, Moses. He gives the name in the context of I'm a God who is relational. Let me, let me image it this way. Yahweh's his personal name. So imagine you meet a, a doctor, Dr. Bill. You meet this guy, and, and you say, hey, doctor, and he says, no, please, don't call me doctor. Call me Bill. We're not losing reverence to the doctor name by any means because actually the one who has that authority, he has to make the first move to say you can call me by Bill. But what it's saying is I don't want you to just relate to me on this formal level anymore. I want you to draw near to me on a personal level. You know that Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. <laughs> now, we serve deeply. That's who we are. But what he's saying is, your connection with me is no longer defined by tasks. It's defined by relationship now. Yahweh, in Yahweh is rooted relationship. In fact, he tells Moses, what does he say? He says, I will be with you. Our God is a God. The modern thought is often, even in church a lot, we have a God who set up creation. He put these natural laws in place, which are true, that allow the, the, the world to almost function on its own. But God has detached himself. He backs off. He's perpetually on vacation. And maybe every once in a while on a blue moon he'll answer a prayer. But what we find out about Yahweh is he says, I'm the God who wants to be with you. All the way to the point that we have Emmanuel, God with us. Then we have Holy Spirit, God in us. He is not this distant deity who wants to be near to us. So the first thing is, is that he's relational. The second thing is that he's immutable. That's the fancy word that he cannot change. I am who I am, and who I am, I will always be. He is constant, guys. This is such a good reality. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never has a bad day. He never has an off second. Think about us. I have many bad days. And when I have those, my wife is not sure how I will respond. It's always changing. But we never have to worry about with Yahweh where we stand. He's constant. He, he, he's never moving. He's the immutable one. That is glorious news. You never have to worry about if the rules, quote unquote, are, are changing. You know who he is. I am who I am. He is never improving or becoming anything. He is already perfection. I am who I am, and I will always be that. When we look at our lives, and I look at young Andrew, right, as that four or five-year-old boy, there are, there are ways of which uh, I see continuity, and there are ways of which there is discontinuity. But with Yahweh, he's never had that. 
We, we have changed since the moment we walked into this tent. We're different. Primarily, we're getting older. <laughs> we're getting gray hair. Our, our bodies are breaking down. Our inward bodies are renewing, praise the Lord. <laughs> but, but God doesn't experience that. He is immutable. I am who I am, and I have always been that. So what he's saying is, when you see me display something, I am that in its most perfect form. So if you see me display mercy, it's because I am mercy. I am who I am. And who I am is the perfect, most beautiful expression of that. Mercy, justice, love, he's the absolute standard of that. We as humans, we're not very consistent with who we are. Take marriage, take someone who enters the church, everyone gets excited, you see a new person, like this person's amazing, they're awesome. And take friends who you cultivate a friendship and you say, man, these, these, these people, these guys are awesome. I love them. They're generous. They've got integrity. Uh, whatever it is. And we come up with this great idea. Hey, let's get an apartment together. We all move in together. A after, after one day, we realize we're not so awesome. We realize we're not always generous. We realize we don't always operate with integrity. But Yahweh does. He's always, he always is who he is. That's such good news. As humans, we can only depend on each other to be constant sometimes. But on Yahweh, we can depend on him to be constant all the time. He is immutable. He's not only relational, he's immutable, and he's eternal. He, he has no beginning or no end. These are things that can just blow the mind. The name Yahweh is actually, what's interesting, is always written in the present tense. See, we have past and we have future, not Yahweh. He is always in the present. So when you're worrying about your future, saying, I don't know what it's going to look like, God has to say, that's my present. It's an amazing reality. Everything to God is in the present. He is our ever-present help. Humans, humans, if you go to a cemetery and you look at a tombstone, a human is basically, their life is summed up with two things, a name and a date, or two dates. Their birth date and the day that they die. God has a name, but he has no birth date. And he has no date of which he will cease to exist. I am who I am, and I will always be. That's why he has the last and final say in our lives, because he is Alpha and Omega. And the last thing is that he is self-sufficient, which means he does not need anyone else to survive. He's completely independent. He has being within himself. Guys, not one of us, not one of us can exist on our own. We needed, a, we needed a man and a woman to procreate just to be here. We need oxygen, food, clothing, you name it, just to survive. He needs none of that. He exists within himself. Self-sufficient. So these are things that you can just wrestle with for the rest of your life and eternity. He's relational, he's immutable, he's eternal, and he's self-sufficient. But here, here's where we're going to close. You guys doing all right? Because we're about to take communion, and I, two more hours. I feel like we're getting there, to be honest. Okay. In the beginning, God. So listen, I said Holy Spirit and Jesus are Yahweh. Let me say Holy Spirit real quick, and then we're going to break open Jesus and take communion. 
So Holy Spirit's Yahweh. There are many ways you could show this, but in but in Second Peter chapter one verse twenty one, Peter said how the prophets long ago did not speak according to their own initiation or human will, but they were carried along by the Spirit. In other words, they spoke by the Spirit. But if you go into the Old Testament and you see the prophets and their commissions, it never, it really, I, I can't find a spot where it says that the Holy Spirit is the one who called them. It usually says something like this, and the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord is all caps, Yahweh. Which means in the Old Testament, it says Yahweh spoke to the prophets. But Peter says it was the Holy Spirit speaking to the prophets. Which one is it? Yes. <laughs> it's both. Because <laughs> Yahweh is the Holy Spirit. But here's the beautiful, here's the one that just grips my heart is Jesus. All right? So listen, just stay with one second to teach this, and then, then we'll see it in the scriptures. When the Greek translators tried to capture the Hebrew name Yahweh, I am, essentially, they, they did something interesting, something strange. They took these two Greek verbs, ego, aiming. Ego means I am. Aiming means I am. Normally, you would just use one of those. But what they did to signify Yahweh in the Greek is they combined them together. So anytime someone would say, ego, me," the Jews would understand this was a reference to Yahweh. So if you go into the Gospel of John, one of the dominant themes of the Gospel of John, you may have known this, is called the seven I am statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the true vine. And you know what he says every time? He does not just say ego, and he does not just say amy. He says, ego, amy. Ego, amy, bread of life. He's saying Yahweh, the bread of life. Yahweh, resurrection and life. Yahweh, the good shepherd. Do you, do you know, this is why when he was having a conversation with the religious leaders, they were infuriated. Now, this is, part of it is because what he was saying. He said, you say that your father's Abraham. He says, but you're all bound in religion. You actually don't know God. And so they're getting upset by this, and at the end they want to stone him. And you could think that the reason they want to stone him is simply because of those statements, but it's not. It's because of what he said right before they picked up stones. He said that Abraham longed to meet him like this, to see this day. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. How do you know Abraham? And he says this in John 8, 58. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He said, before Abraham was, ego emi. They picked up the stone because he was saying, I'm Yahweh. They understood what he was meaning. Do you know that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane being betrayed in in John 18, the Roman officers came in and Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, we look for Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what he said? I am he. Ego emi. And you know what they did? When he looked at them and said it, it said they fell to the floor under the power of God. For those who don't understand or say like, wait, when someone falls under the power of God, where is that? Listen, there's one example right there. When he turned and said, ego emi, the power of Yahweh, they came under the power of God and collapsed under them. Because sometimes when God meets man, God wins. <laughs> and so God touches him powerfully. There's many places. Do you know when, when in, in uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel 2. And at the very end, he says, And it shall come to pass that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's quoting Joel 2. Now he's speaking about Jesus. Do you know what it says in Joel 2 though? When it says the Lord, it says Yahweh. Peter's saying it's Yahweh, it's Jesus now who is Yahweh. Do you know when Paul speaks in Philippians 2, one of the great passages of how Jesus 
entered into humanity, although equal with God, and humbled himself. And just kept getting lower and lower to the point of death on a cross. Paul then said this, God exalted him and gave him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was quoting Isaiah 45 to 22 to 25 right there, of which in in Isaiah, the Lord is Yahweh. He's saying everyone will confess that Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh saves. So I'm going to ask Mark if you could uh, put on Jesus for a sec. So we're going to take communion because here's what I want you to just kind of wrap your mind around. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Imagine that. The uncreated one. The perfect one came in the flesh. This is why Paul said, we have beheld the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus. Just wrap your mind around this for a moment. If Yahweh means immutable, can never change. Jesus came in the flesh as Yahweh and actually took on a birth date and actually took on a death, and actually experienced the changes of humanity. The one who could never change, somehow, in God's supernatural way, took on flesh and could experience the changes of humanity. Yahweh is self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He, mean, he needs no one to survive. But think about this. When Jesus came in the flesh, he so humbled himself that he became, he became dependent on human beings to raise him up. As a child, he needed other humans to raise him. The eternal one tasted death. But just think about it. The eternal one tasted death so that we could have life. So we're going to pass out communion. I'm just going to ask you to hold it. And then in just a minute, we're going to partake together. And I want us to kind of be framed in that place. Jesus as Yahweh, the immutable one, the self-existent one, the eternal one, came in and took flesh to give his life up. Why? Because he's also the relational one, so that we could know him. place of worship right now. If it helps, sometimes closing eyes helps to just be free of distraction.
in the Gospel of John that Jesus told his disciples when he was about to be betrayed, he said, with desire, I have desired this meal. Imagine that. Death is right around the corner, and the one thing that's on his heart, he said, I have so long to have this meal with you. Jesus, in this house, we declare that you are not just a good prophet. You're not just another teacher. You don't just have good lessons for us. But you are Yahweh. You came and revealed the glory of God. And he, who could never change, had his body broken. Lord, we recognize that this morning, that you had your body broken. So that we could be restored, that we could have wholeness in every area of life. We thank you, Yahweh, that you came. We thank you that you made a way. That you would not just visit us here and there, but that you would take up residence in us. And we declare that the veil has been torn by the flesh of Jesus. And so we honor you, King Jesus. We honor what happened in your body. And we celebrate it here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread together. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you poured out your blood. You poured out your blood. You made a way for forgiveness. You made a way for us to be washed clean. And we will never be ashamed to sing to you, to live for you. For what king leaves everything like you do? Jesus, you paid the ransom. You came when we were in shackles. And you redeemed us, not with silver and gold, but with your blood. And we apply the blood this morning. We come in faith around this blood. And we say with it, there's justification, there's sanctification, there's redemption, there's new creation, there is forgiveness in this blood, there is adoption in this blood, there is healing in this blood. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake. Praise the Lord. Love you guys deeply.
you're more than welcome to stay right here. I'd ask, actually, I really feel there's this really sweet presence of the Lord right now. So if you need to go and grab kids, if you could do as quietly as possible. For those who'd like to just stay and remain, you're more than welcome. Uh, you can, if you need prayer at all, something the Lord is speaking to your heart, feel free to come forth. We can have a prayer team pray for you. We bless you guys. We'll see you during the week. Prayer room. Listen, what's happening on Sunday is so connected to that prayer room. Get involved. Minister to the Lord. This is just the beginning. Love you guys. Again, there's a test, test. Again, we have a testing. There you go. We have a prayer uh, team up here. If anyone needs prayer, feel free to come on up. And baptism sign up <laughs> at the welcome table. If you want to be baptized Easter Sunday, we'll have a class. If you're interested, go sign up at the welcome table. Everyone's got one. You guys good? Do you want to give some keys or something? <laughs> so I've really felt bad to just close here. By coming before the table. There's a lot of other illustrations, I think, that tie into what happened with David and Mikhail. Many of you know the story of Cain killing Abel. We hear it as a, a childhood story, but there's so much, there's so much weightiness to that story of what's happening. There's a lot of speculation as to why did God reject Cain's offering and receive Abel's? Was it because of what they gave? Was it a matter of the heart? You could probably make cases for different ones, but here's what I know, is that whatever God was, was requesting, Cain had access to give that as well, and he didn't. And, and Cain killed Abel. Like, that critical thing got so bad that he murdered his brother because ultimately it says that when he saw Abel give the offering, he saw God re respond with favor upon Abel's life. And the favor that he saw in Abel's life so disturbed him and the sad thing is that he actually, he had access to give the same thing and receive the same thing. And we may not murder each other in that sense, but man, with our words, man, we could really tear each other apart. And the whole purpose of this is for us to be unified, to be unified in what we're going after and to give people like freedom to really pursue the Lord, worship the Lord, celebrate that he is not just with us in a building, but in our bodies. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna close by taking uh, taking Holy Communion here together. And I want to, um, I just want to put this before you, that when we took, we did communion series earlier on in this year, we had mentioned about the importance of coming before the table rightly. 
And what that means is it's not about you getting yourself right because that will never happen. When, when we come to this table rightly, it's about us coming in, in sincerity and in truth and honesty, which means that, that there's stuff going on in our life. We don't hold that, but we come before him and we say, Lord, like, man, I need, I need you to like deal with this. And the beautiful thing is that when we come in this honesty and we come in this transparency, like he meets us, grace meets us, it's a person. And you find like healing comes to our hearts and that stuff that we're holding on to begins to break. And these wounds can actually minister to you. I mean, think about Jesus. If there's anyone, if there's anyone who understands what it's like to be on the wrong side of being mistreated, on the wrong side of a critical voice, it's Jesus. And yet he laid down his life for the very one who would betray him in this room. And so I really think there's something that can take place here. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. This body and this cup, it's, it's the cost that allows us to enjoy the gospel in the fullest way now. So one, we come here this morning with gratitude in our hearts that what David experienced with limitation, we have in its fullness because of this right here, what this table is leading us into. But also there's healing. There's healing in our hearts for offense. And so Lord, I just pray that as we come to partake of your body and your blood I pray that by the spirit that you would you would really weaponize these me this meal and you would you would make it something that just confronts and heals in Jesus name I pray that you would you would you would lead us into a unity in where and where we are going I pray for a Psalm 133 blessing on this house I pray Lord that we would give you what you've always desired in this body. I pray, Lord, that we would be a house of David's. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your patience. That is all summed up right here. And so this bread, take this bread. Lord, I pray that as we partake of this bread, we would remember your wounds. We would remember your body that was broken, that brings wholeness and healing to us. And I pray, God, that as we partake together, I pray you would bring healing, wholeness, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. In Jesus' name, let's partake together the bread. That tasted like cardboard. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Let's take the cup. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for your blood that was poured out. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you have invited us all to join in into what you're doing here. And it's by your blood that we have access. We have access you have sprinkled your blood on the mercy seat that we can enter in. So, Lord, we make it our number one priority to come before your presence and to worship you and to enjoy you and to celebrate what you have done. And I pray, Lord, that as we partake of this cup, 
that just that, that, that a breaking would happen over all of our lives, that there would be a new freedom, a new joy that we step into, new expressions of worship, new responses to, to what you have done and what you have paid for, Lord. I pray you would call out prophetic giftings and the arts and, and drawings and paintings and flag dancing, Lord, that, God, that we would become a celebratory body. Lord, we would celebrate night and day that you are with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's partake of his blood together. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. If there's anyone who needs prayer specifically, you can always come up. Worship team is going to worship a little bit longer, so you can come up and, and pray. But if not, we'll see you this week in some way. Revelation study. Beholding night Friday night. And we'll see you guys next Friday for Love Day, all right? God bless you guys.